Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Bootleg Football Podcast, our second episode of the week. This one is entirely dedicated to the conference championship matchups for the AFC and the NFC. We want to take all of the knowledge uh, and reactions that we talked about yesterday from the divisional round and try to translate it going forward to uh, the big daddy of them all, other than the Super Bowl, obviously. Conference championship weekend. Two best teams in each conference. I think, uh, you know, we articulated that pretty well. Like, the teams that are supposed to be there are there. These are the two best matchups we could have hoped for. But before we get to all these previews and breaking down, you know, analytics and tape and matchups and all that good stuff, before we get there, EJ, buddy, how you doing today? I'm excited. That's all I can say is I'm a little bit giddy about these matchups. Uh, to wash it all down, I brought uh, something local. Elliott Bay Brewing's Baja Lager. I uh, was up there for dinner the other night. Actually watched a good part of the Eagles route of the Giants from there. They brew their own, and you can take a six-pack home with you, which is pretty nice. So I'm I'm going to dive into a beer because it's kind of why we started this thing, was drinking, talking about football, and having a good time. And this is kind of the best time of the year we're looking mm-hmm. at the sum total of the efforts of four different franchises here to put together what have been amazing seasons and they're they're going to collide now there's going to be some answers uh when we're done with these games and the answer is who gets to represent their conference in the super bowl and and be one of those matchups that goes down a lot of people remember who was in the super bowl not a lot of people always remember who made the conference championship game that year that fades a little bit more quickly but to us Folks that are really interested in the detail of football, this might be the highlight weekend of the year. Now, I, in terms of my drink for tonight, I have one of the last survivors from our our trip to Texas. (laughs) When we saw Joe Burrow live against Dallas that weekend, hell of a game, that. And uh, I'm about halfway through my Balcones lineage, but it's a wonderful whiskey, one of my favorites in the collection. And uh, you know what? Since the Cowboys are out, Embarrassingly, we got to get some sort of Texas representation on this show, and this is going to be it, EJ. That'll do it. That'll do it. We're going to stay with the NFC. We're going to start with uh, our preview of 49ers Eagles. Obviously, the 49ers just took care of business with the Cowboys. If you want our recap of that game and everything that that went wrong for Dallas and everything that went right for the 49ers, you can go check that out in yesterday's show. Same thing for the Eagles Giants game. But let's talk about how these two teams match up against each other. Because this isn't just good on good. This is great on great. Uh, this is the matchup that you and I wanted to see basically since, I don't know, October? You know, pre-Halloween. This is kind of the one that we were hoping we were going to get. And we got it. Two conference heavyweights going toe-to-toe. 
schematically speaking, I think the the matchup that people are most intrigued by is how does D'Amico Ryans and that defense handle Jalen Hurts and Shane Steichen and, and all those receivers in the run game and the offensive line, like the, the Eagles offensive line and their offense as a whole is just so overwhelming. And you could say the same thing about the Niners defense. They, they overwhelm you with just sheer talent and execution. So it's these two units matching up that I think people are looking forward to. So I pulled some numbers here to try to articulate what we might see. Uh, spoiler alert, nobody's fucking scoring in this game. <laughs> they both match up very well against each other. The Eagles run 11 personnel 70% of the time on early downs, which is eighth most in the league. And across all downs and distances, so second, third, fourth, they have the sixth most, sixth most, excuse me, 11 personnel snaps this year at 845 total. A lot of snaps of 11. So they love to spread you out and then kind of beat you up inside from the spread with inside zone, zone read. You know, sometimes we'll call some QB power. You know, they'll, they're not afraid to use Jalen Hurts as a runner, obviously, but the main run they use is inside zone with either Sanders or Gainwell or, or whoever. They call inside zone about 37% of the time, and that includes all the RPO stuff, mind you. That 37%, which is a huge number, that is second most in the NFL for inside zone. Um, for reference, it is literally double the amount of inside zone that the 49ers themselves call, at about 18%. So it's two, they're in the zone family, but two distinct styles here in run game. Uh, 49ers love outside zone, Eagles love inside zone. And uh, at the same time, complementing that kind of you know, beat you up inside running style. They're also one of the best vertical passing games in the league, especially outside. Even while missing games, Hertz still has the most yards on passes on go routes thrown outside the numbers in the NFL, meaning 20 plus yards down the field outside the numbers. Uh, he has the most yards on those at 476 on only 34 attempts, which is a lot of attempts like two per game for him. But very efficient you know he's the fourth highest passer rating on those go routes at 123.2 five tds no picks he's very very good at it and i think there are other quarterbacks that overall stretch the field more but in terms of that particular throw he has been the best at it this year and of course having aj brown and Devonte smith helps with that because they can go dominate on those types of routes especially aj brown who just out muscles everybody outside the numbers so when it comes down to how the 49ers can stop or at least slow down the Eagles, who have a very physical run game up front on inside zone with a clear size mismatch on the offensive line against almost everybody, and then they have a size, speed, talent mismatch outside with that vertical passing game, how are the 49ers going to slow that down? Well, funny you should ask. Since week 10, and we're kind of shrinking the data set here to the most relevant games you know we're only going to go back a couple months because uh, like all the week two week three stuff doesn't matter as much not as relevant everybody's different since then uh, so since week 10 back half of the year uh, if we're looking at how this Niners defense is constructed and what they like to call first down in between the 20 yard lines so taking out red zone taking out backed up on your goal line like a general neutral situation in between the 20-yard lines on first down, they run cover three, the 14th most, at about 33% of the time. Pretty much dead on average, right? They run quarters, the 10th most, at about 
24%, a little bit more quarters heavy. Not quite as much as the Eagles, who run it at 30%, because Vic Fangio's on that staff, so of course they do. Um, but they run a lot more quarters than most teams. However, they also run a hell of a lot more cover, too, which is where I think their defense is differentiated from most of the league in that they really lean into cover, two because they have Fred Warner, so they can. They run cover, two the seventh most at about 24% as well in those situations. So all told, against 11 personnel on early downs, they're in a middle field open structure, meaning quarters uh, or, or quarter, quarter, half, or cover, two more than half the time, right? Two safeties are deep. Not as much cover three, not as much cover one, not as much packing the box. And to me, that is valuable information because knowing that they're going to be going up against a very big, aggressive offensive line that runs inside zone with a middle field open structure, you would think that that would favor Philly. It does not because, again, they have Fred Warner and nobody else does. And Greenlaw, who is almost as good. Greenlaw himself is is phenomenal. And then you got the, you know, Eric Armstead and Kinlaw inside who are insane. And Nick Bosa, who's insane. That kind of group of six, right, because they run nickel a lot. That group of six, I would take against pretty much anybody else in the league and feel comfortable with it. And so despite playing middle field open structures against 11 personnel so much, they only allow 3.2 yards per carry on inside zone. It's the same yards per carry they allowed when they're in middle field closed structure. So it doesn't matter if they're in cover three or middle field closed or middle field open. They allow 3.2 yards per carry against inside zone, which is the Eagles bread and butter in the run game. And that is utterly insane because you're asking six versus five in the era of zone read to try to hold an almost unstoppable run concept to under four yards per carry, and they do it. That is how freaking talented they are, that they don't need to follow the meta of the NFL, which is cover three. They don't need to do that to stop the run. They can still get after it up front. I know Jalen Hurts is phenomenal at running, and I know Miles Sanders has had a great year, and I know that offensive line is great. This is a different animal than what they've gone up against the entire year. Nobody stops their bread and butter run like the 49ers do. So they're going to try it. They're going to slug it out. They're going to do their best. This is not going to be a normal running day for the Eagles. It's not even going to be close. No. The strange thing about Philadelphia in this game is they have an incredibly potent offense, which we can say the same thing about the 49ers. But what it comes down to is execution, for Philadelphia against a defense that is almost custom made, custom built to shut them down. Mm-hmm. That's fascinating. When we're talking about great on great, we're talking about strength on strength or power on power. That's this. We all know how good the Philadelphia ground game is. It's what they used to resurrect their team last year when they faltered and they went, wait, we're bigger and stronger than everybody. We can run over people. Let's do that to get our feet set. And they have continued elements of that through. It's an identity that they go back to when they need to make hay. They're not going to have that safety blanket against the 49ers because they're legitimately going to be getting under four yards of carry. So say the numbers. Very good versus the run we talked about. Even out of nickel, it's the same. Big physical corners who can press your outside threats. The 49ers mm-hmm. love to play press, and they're going to bang 
with A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith. They're not going to give them free releases and free lunches. So, uh, you know, the thing that they go to, if that run gets stopped, that's not going to be a gimme either. And Warner patrolling the middle versus your third option, which is Goddard being insanely good, being able to cover C.D. Lamb down the slot. I think he can handle Goddard. Uh, you're, it's sort of your one, two, and three punch are equally matched on the other side of the line. And the Eagles haven't seen any team so far this year that can do that at that level. So it's going to come down to the execution, the one-on-ones. A.J. Brown going to win some? Yeah, he is. Devonta Smith going to win some? Sure. Is Goddard going to win a couple? Mm, he is, but... It's not going to happen as easily or as regularly. So when it does come open and they get the chances to make those plays, it's going to come down to execution. We talked about that in yesterday's pod is a championship caliber team executes in those moments when those plays come open. And the Eagles are going to have to against an opponent that is almost the lock to their key. Mm -hmm. It is that equal side to side. We don't see that. The Eagles are going to have to attack Lenore specifically with route running. They can attack him physically, but he's held up to that for the most part. You've got he's some a really boxer. Good yeah. You've yeah. got some good numbers on that. So what Devonta Smith can do and what he's been able to do since college that we said was going to be really tough to press him if you can't get your hands on him. Mm-hmm. It's about releases. It's about route running, and that's the way they're going to have to attack him. He's Again, Devonta Smith, very good player. He's going to win some of those, but Lenore is going to get his hands on him sometimes and slow him down. It's going to be 50-50, and Smith is going to have to make the catch when the ball comes his way. The offensive line is going to have to find a way for Philly to make some cracks in that run defense. Now, that's a tall order. We just talked about how hard it's been and how nobody's been able to do that. This goes the other way, too. The guys on the other side get paid. Philadelphia's offensive line, led by Jason Kelsey, extremely skilled, extremely physical, very good with leverage. They're going to win some, too. They're going to have to find some cracks, and when they do, Miles Sanders is going to have to convert on those. And That's two things working together that, again, have to happen in the right time, on the right play. When the crack gets open, he has to hit it. So it'll be about a few big plays that Brown, Devonta Smith, and Sanders make against an excellent defense that's not going to allow them many chances. They're going to have to capitalize. So drops, broken tackles, et cetera, might be huge. We talked about a lot of the games last weekend being a 3-4 play swing. Mm-hmm. It's going to be the same, and the Eagles are going to have to make those 3-4 or four plays. If I'm Shane Steichen and I'm the Philly offense against this very good defense, I'm going to press some of the lesser hyped matchups and see if I can win. Gainwell isolated on Greenlaw. Greenlaw, very good player. Kenneth Gainwell, hard to keep up with from any linebacker perspective. I want to see a down or two of Boston Scott on Hafanga, right? You can get that with motion pre-snap. You can get that alignment. Scott will win that, I think, too. Scott will probably (laughs) win that depending on the type of route. So Steichen's got to use his chess pieces, especially pre-snap, to move folks around and get a couple of favorable matchups. They do exist. They're few and far between. And when they come open, Hertz has to see him, the line has to protect, and he has to hit him. That is a lot of pressure against a defense that adds pressure to every game it's in, gives you very limited time, make sure your time to decide is very short. The 49ers are very good at that. The Eagles have the ability to crack that open a little bit. It's going to come down to execution, players making plays, and it's going to be fascinating because of that. You know, you mentioned uh, Lenore and, and Charvarius Ward and, and I talked a little bit about the vertical passing game. That's another thing that I think 
the Niners match up pretty well. Because when you look at them as a duo of corners, again, they go out there and they just beat people up. Um, Lenore, in particular, has had 15 targets on go routes all year, only allowed four catches, has three PBUs to show for it. So he breaks it up just as often as he gets got. But, you know, 15 targets, you're only allowing four the entire year. That's pretty damn good. Um, and then Charvarius Ward has 20 targets on go routes because he's the number one, so he, he faces a lot of the big dogs in the NFL. Only allowed eight catches on those. Uh, has allowed two touchdowns, but they were to Devontae Adams in the low red zone. So, yeah, good luck with that. And DK Metcalf, who's DK Metcalf, you know. And that one just happened a, a couple weeks ago, right? So if, if one of the only times you're getting beaten are by arguably the best receiver in the NFL uh, and then another guy who is at minimum a Pro Bowl caliber player, and when he's at his best, he is virtually unstoppable because he's 6'4", 230, and runs a 4'3". I'm willing to give that a pass, right? But Ward and Lenore overall are just an incredibly physical, tough duo to get vertical on. And uh, A.J. Brown is in that tier of receiver. He can do it, but it's not easy. And so I think Eagles fans need to you know, get used to the thought that maybe all of those go balls that they're used to seeing against lesser secondaries are not going to be there against this one. And this 49ers secondary is willing to give those one-on-ones because they trust their guys to go win it because usually they do. So overall, I think the 49ers defense, you know, matches up extremely well with them. Um, I think that in terms of the trench warfare here, this is the best we're going to see the entire year because it's arguably best D-line against arguably best O-line. I think that Eagles fans are right to be confident. I think 49ers fans are right to be confident too, because I truly have no idea which way it's going to go. But I can tell you right now, this is strength on strength, and something's got to break. Something absolutely has to break. Now, on the flip side, I want to talk about the other matchup too, Eagles defense against 49ers offense. This one, I think, is a little bit, uh, a little bit more skewed towards the Eagles defense if only because Purdy has not faced this type of defense before. The Cowboys are really, really good, and they held up for a long time until Kyle, as we mentioned in the last episode, when he's like, mm, I'm not going to run outside zone anymore. I'm going to run counter and make them stop it from nickel. And then Dallas was like, oh, shit, we don't have an answer for this. The Eagles have answers. <laughs> the Eagles have answers for everything. Uh, Cowboys are a great defense. The Eagles are right up there with the 49ers as like inarguably top three in the league, right? By pretty much every metric you can think of. Um, so I think the Eagles defense against the 21 personnel runs that we will see from the 49ers, their most common concept is outside zone. I'm very curious to see if there is that little switch mid game as well, because the Eagles against 21 personnel outside zone also ironically only allow 3.2 yards per carry. So that is another matchup that favors Philly. And they do that despite playing quarters, as I mentioned, 30% of the time. They play quarters more than anybody else on early downs. So the fact that they can, you know, bottle up the run while playing quarters is not very fair <laughs> to most offenses because then you can't run the ball and you, and you can't hit all those crosses off play action. Like you're, you're just kind of screwed either way, right? And that's what we saw happening against the Giants. They had no answer for that. So if San Francisco is going to succeed, um, to me, Purdy's going to have to sit back there and make some really 
really difficult throws that can beat all of that quarter's coverage. You know, we're going to run a pin and a, a deep post behind it. Can you make that throw? You know, we're going to run like a deep switch and have you hit a seven to the boundary. Can you make that throw? You can't just live with, we're going to run curls in front of the safety and then come back to it all day. Because eventually, they're going to pick that shit off. If they know that you're not going to go deep on them, they're going to squat and they will pick it off just like they picked off Daniel Jones early in that game, right? Because they knew he wasn't going to go deep. So they squatted on it and they got themselves a pick. You have to be able to be aggressive and be willing to be aggressive. And only at that point will all of the yards after catch for Debo open up if you can back him off a little bit. Only at that point will all of the quick game with Kittle open up because you can back him off a little bit. If you cannot demonstrate early a willingness and a capability to go deep on this Eagles defense, you will get eaten alive. So either way, I do not see a lot of points in this one. I believe that the 49ers defense matches up well against the Eagles offense, and I believe the Eagles defense matches up well with the 49ers offense. The under right now is like 45 and a half. No way I'm taking the over. No way I'm taking the over. I think on paper, neither of these teams are getting to 20 points. So sign me up for the under, EJ. It's going to be a tough defensive battle, a stressful defensive battle that – Truth be told, neither fan base is going to enjoy watching because it's going to be a nail-biter the whole time. Well, they're not going to be used to what they're seeing because both of these fan bases are used to seeing these teams this year roll people on both sides of the ball. That's why it's an awesome matchup. You talked about the Philadelphia O-line versus the San Francisco D-line. I think the flip side is just as good, not necessarily the same balance, but San Francisco offensive line is extremely good and the Philly defensive line is great. It's super deep. They run basically two full lines deep. Their second line could start over many NFL starting defensive lines. Mm-hmm. Passing yards on those shot plays are going to be hard to come by because the outside corners for Philly are so good. And if the Niners get them, they're going to be in the middle of the field on crossers. They're going to be on long man. They're going to be on seam routes to Kittle. He's Purdy's going to have to throw between the numbers because trying to go outside those sort of go ball routes to Debo or Ayuk, he might get one, but he might lose one in the process. Both of those outside corners are as good as you're going to see in the NFL. They'll need to be quick, too. The Eagles aren't going to give them a lot of time. That rotation of the defensive pass rush, the ability to keep people fresh, the ability to come from all angles, Reddick and Sweat, the More names than you can count. They're all going to be flying at Brock Purdy. He's not going to be able to stand back there and take a three-beat and say, all right, I'm going to let this one go deep. I'd love to see mismatch work on the Niners' side as well, and they do present some of the best mismatch options in the NFL. Continue to push Kittle versus the linebackers. He's going to win that, and Brock will throw it. There are some tight ends that can win between the numbers, and their, their quarterback will never throw it. Purdy's shown a willingness and an ability to hit Kittle between the numbers when he gets open. We saw a big one of those versus Dallas. That's a place where I actually favor Kittle a little bit. The linebackers have been good for Philadelphia, which is a huge upgrade from last year, but they're not great. And so you might get something there. CMC versus anyone inside off a rotation. Mm-hmm. anybody he can win routes versus the majority of Philadelphia's secondary even the outside corners because he runs routes like a wide receiver and he's immensely talented so again move him around pre-snap get the matchup you want 
and juice on chip leak. I am begging you. I yep. am begging you. Kyle Run everybody Shanahan. deep, create the space, and then just let him go. Yep. Let him level one of those pass rushers coming in because he can do that too. And then let him go because he's super dangerous with the ball in his hands and they get it to him like once a game, twice a game. I'd like to see it once a half. I know an embarrassment of riches Niners fans, but <laughs> juice on chip leak. I am begging you. So it's going to be pure popcorn for folks that like line play all day. doesn't matter which unit, which side you're going to see incredibly talented players, guys that are going to the hall of fame going up against other guys that are going to go to the Hall of Fame, and it's going to mm-hmm. be really, really cool. Purdy's been great at staying out of those big negative plays. He's going to have to not get frustrated and stay out of those mistakes. Now, he's done that. He's shown an ability every game he started to do that, but he was tested versus Dallas in the first half. There was a lot of things that just got kind of shut down. They sat on a lot of routes. He didn't get those late play heroic options. Hey, I can dip out from under a sack and get to the second, third, fourth option and come up with 11 yards. I'm just going to have to eat this one. It's only a three-yard loss. It wasn't the big loss, but you could see he's kind of pent. He's mm-hmm. kind of like, I'm not getting those chances to to make all those hero plays because Dallas's defense put on a, a clinic in the first half. He's going to have to not press, and Philly's going to press him hard, mm-hmm. like, it's going to be Dallas plus, and that's saying something. Now more than ever, he needs to hold, right? You see those, all those great battle scenes in movies? Hold, <laughs> hold like he's got to hold. They're going to be pressing him extremely hard, and he can't break now. He's been so good up to this point. It's going to be difficult, but if he doesn't do that, they're in deep, deep water. Eagles defensive thoughts, rotate that defensive line, bring him in waves. They've been doing that all year. Rush with contain. We talked about how difficult it is to actually corral Purdy and get him on the ground. Last week Mm -hmm. you were talking about Micah as a shadow because he's uber athletic. Philadelphia doesn't lack athletes, but you can't overcommit. You can't think you've got him because then he's going to boot out. He's going to have two or three seconds free on the edge, and he's extremely dangerous. So rush with contain. Take a page out of Lou Anarumo's book. Now, this is switching conferences, right? But Lou Anarumo brought Hilton from all angles and just battered Josh Allen. If I'm Gannon, I'm thinking, hmm, who do I have that I can send from deep to get after Purdy, who's really athletic from the secondary? And I'm not sure who that is. I'm not sure who his favorite is to get home. Rushing the passer from a really wide alignment, a slot alignment is a skill not everybody has but i'd like to see it a little bit because if i watched that other conference game if i had time as a coordinator in the nfc i'd go huh i like that wrinkle you know make him see something else uh and keep the coverage for kittle rotating i don't think designating one guy from your defense to george kittle is a good idea i do think that having consistent coverage for kittle no matter who it is or what combination it is is key it's almost again flipping conferences like taking care of kelsey because kittle hasn't been a factor in terms of overall production it's not that he's been leading the the offense in terms of production but he's had the red zone in the red zone he is but that's about it he's he's been having this weird effect on the offense though where his big plays have ignited their offense the big bobbling catch he had versus the cowboys they were they were grinding along before that. And after that, things just opened up, right? It's almost like contagious enthusiasm. I don't know how to quantify it 
when Kittle makes a big play, the 49ers offense lights up a little bit. So mm-hmm. I don't care who you've got on Kittle. I do think you have to rotate it and keep Shanahan guessing as to who that's going to be or where it's going to come from. But you can't miss. You can't take a playoff and just go, oh, we're just not going to cover Kittle. Because Purdy will find him. They have a great connection. And when he does, you see the 49ers offense kind of flare. And the Eagles don't want that. It's it's very rare that you see an organization – like every every team has like some irreplaceable players, right? Like players where if they went out, the organization would be completely screwed. I'm talking about non-quarterbacks because everybody would be screwed out their quarterback, except for the Niners. They're in the third one, but they're, they're weird. Um, but, <laughs> you know, every organization has like completely irreplaceable pieces that are not quarterbacks that if they go out, it completely changes how they function as a team. Not very many organizations – is that player a middle linebacker and a tight end? <laughs> but the 49ers are like when Kittle is not there, their offense is fundamentally different and way, way less uh, both both explosive and efficient. Like he he drives everything for them. And on defense, God forbid they lost Fred Warner, they wouldn't be able to run half the shit they run. So they're a very unique franchise where yeah, Nick Bosa, all world talent, probably defensive player of the year. Uh, Trent, first ballot Hall of Fame left tackle. But it's their middle linebacker and their tight end that is literally the engine of both of those units. It, there's there's no other team like them. There's absolutely no other team like them. Did you take some level of deep enjoyment from watching football Twitter at large who maybe doesn't watch the 49ers much during the year and, oh, and, yeah. and now being int- reintroduced <laughs> to them in the playoffs going, you know, Fred this Warner's Fred, underrated. <laughs> this Fred Warner guy can play a little bit. It's like he's been the best linebacker in the league for like three years. <laughs> yeah, and we've been on that train pretty hard for a couple of years. As there's not anybody like him. There's not anybody like him that can do as many things as he can do at as high a level as he can do them. He is the ultimate sort of chess piece, right? He could move in any direction at any speed and you could put him anywhere. You can have him going backwards. You can have him going forwards. And he has an equal level of impact. There just aren't players like that. It was really uh, somewhat gratifying to see lots of random NFL folks chiming in going, man, Fred Warner's obscene. <laughs> like, and yes, it's not even on the field, yes, off is. the field too. Like he's, he, like when I was at practice, like, He's the one running sprints for him on defense. He's running the drills. He's leading the huddle. He's doing the pregame speeches. Like he's he's their Ray Lewis. Yeah. Literally. I mean, obviously not as like as bombastic when he's on on the, the mic'd up, but in terms of the importance to the team on the field and off the field, he's the guy. Yeah, he is. He's the it. Guy. So, you know. I look forward to seeing him in Canton in about fifteen years. Truthfully, he's, he's that level of player. Yeah, he's on that uh, track for sure. This week's episode is brought to you by HelloFresh. It's the new year now, obviously, so I know a lot of you, just like me, are trying to commit to not eating out as much. And if that's one of your resolutions, like it is mine, HelloFresh can help you out with that. HelloFresh sends farm-to-table ingredients right to your door, and all of the produce in these meal kits was picked less than a week ago from the time it enters your kitchen, so it's as fresh as you can possibly get it. They're all pre-portioned for each recipe, so there's no food waste. Plus, on average, it's cheaper than a grocery store trip as well. Every HelloFresh meal that I've had over the last three years, which is dozens upon dozens of different recipes, 
They've all been legitimately really, really tasty. And we keep all of these recipe cards so that we can then remake these meals later whenever we feel like it. We kind of treat it like a cookbook that we're building over time. So don't just think of these kits as a one-time thing. They can actually help feed you pretty much forever, to be honest. So if you want to try HelloFresh for yourself for no other reason than it's just good food that you can easily learn to cook now and in the future, you can go to HelloFresh.com bootleg21 and use promo code bootleg21 for 21 free meals plus free shipping. Again, that is HelloFresh.com bootleg21, promo code bootleg21 for 21 free meals plus free shipping. Thanks again to HelloFresh for sponsoring today's show. And with that, let's get back to it. Let's get to Bengals Chiefs. <laughs> Chiefs fans are so distraught. This is the last team they wanted to face. They were hoping that either the Ravens or the Bills would pick them off before they got here, but they didn't. You know, the Bengals are they're, they're still fighting. They're still scratching. They're clawing. And the Chiefs, unfortunately, are wounded right now. So they're facing their boogeyman with a quarterback that has one leg. Because Pat Mahomes, it, I think it was a high ankle sprain, right? We're recording this on like a Monday, by the way. Yeah, they reported it as a high ankle sprain. And it's a bit of a misnomer for those of you not familiar with injury. A high ankle sprain is not really just a sprain. It is at some level the ligaments that support the ankle tearing away from their supports higher mm -hmm. up on the leg. So they call it a high ankle sprain. But sprains are basically micro tears. High ankle sprains tend to be bad and they tend yeah. to take a long time to heal so this is not a oh you know rub some icy hot on it and get back out there kid it's a challenging injury that's very painful and also severely limits your ability to push off which we saw in the game on saturday and we will presumably see again this next weekend because it's not healing in a week there's no such thing as a high ankle sprain that heals in a week good news is it wasn't like tony pollard's injury although it happened mm -hmm. in a similar fashion it wasn't a break of the bone that's going to require surgery um but it is not insignificant and it ain't going away was tony pollard's a broken ankle tony pollard fractured his fibula so oh i thought it was a high ankle that's it worse. was, but it got worse. So oh, probably going to require man. a surgical fix. We're talking about probably three months for Pollard. And I put out a thing that said shit news for a great player. He is a really great player. We enjoy watching him play. We wish him a swift and full recovery. It's terrible timing for him. He's going to enter free agency this offseason. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's not. If everything goes well, it is in no way career-ending. Many players have had similar injuries, but it's a bad one. It's it not, just sucks. You know? It's it not sucks. fun. Not fun at all. Um, getting back to Bengals versus Chiefs, you know, t to the point about, about Mahomes' injury, my worst fear before we get to the Mahomes' injury and how that impacts how they can run their offense, because it does, um, QB mobility has been a big thing for them, not to the same degree of, say, Baltimore with Lamar or – Hurts with Philly, but QB mobility has played a monster factor in how they run stuff. But before we even get to that, um, not even taking into account the quarterback on the other side, Burrow and, and Chase and Higgins and Hurst and Boyd, at the very base level in this game, I think the biggest concern for the Chiefs is can they prevent the same thing from happening to them that just happened to Buffalo? We talked in the last episode, recapping that game, the Bengals offensive line, which was 60% backups because Lyle Collins was out, Jonah was out, Kappa was out, 60% backups, right? Completely blew Buffalo off the ball. 
you know, completely outmuscled them at the point of the attack. And this was the second straight game they had done that. They did it to Baltimore, too. So, you know, I don't really think it's a fluke. Um, lack of Daquan Jones, I think, was a big factor in why Buffalo lost because they had no nose tackles that could take on these double teams. And this Bengals offensive line, even without their starters, is fucking nasty. They will, you know, it's very, uh, to quote Dan Campbell, they want to bite your kneecaps off. Like, they play hard. They play physical. And when they get on these double teams, unless you're a Daquan Jones-type nose tackle, you're probably going backwards. And unfortunately for the Chiefs, they don't have a Daquan Jones-type nose tackle either. And I'm looking at um, you know all their stats against 11 personnel, which was what the Bengals primarily run, inside zone, out of. They run a lot of split zone, inside zone, outside zone. The Chiefs also allow 4.8 yards per carry on those runs. And against Duo, which is similar to inside zone, but slightly different in terms of, um, you know, is the center going to the mic or going to the will, but it's double teams, right? That's what we're talking about. Double teams on the nose. They allow 5.7 yards per carry against Duo. So I think that the, the Chiefs, from a run defense perspective, have a very similar problem to what the Bills have when Daquan's not in the lineup because they don't have that type of guy in the middle. Chris Jones is a great pass rusher, but you need a good nose to stop the run. In the Week 13 game, when they didn't even have Joe Mixon against inside zone and duo respectively, they allowed 6 and 6.4 yards per carry, and Samaje had 21 carries for 106 yards. So it's been a problem the entire year. It was especially a problem against Cincy the last time. And even going up to this past game, it still hasn't been fixed. They still can't stop the run in between the tackles. So before we even get to the Mahomes injury and the Burrow issue and, the, and Lou Anarumo shutting down everybody, before we even get to that, the main concern is, can we prevent the Bengals from beating us up with the run game? Right now, based on everything we've seen for the last three months, the answer is no. And I would be very concerned about that if I was a Chiefs fan. We talked about coaches in our offseason previews. We had, we had a whole segment dedicated to coaches some people loved it it's harking back to former players who are now coaches or coaches who got famous in one place or were head coach and now in another place we did it because coaches matter all that stuff is fun and it makes great content but coaches matter going into last weekend's games i said look jackson carmen starts at left tackle which is not a place that he started a lot in his career turns out maybe ever i don't feel good about him even versus a depleted Bills pass rush because they have a lot of talent there, and I don't think that's going to go well. I think that matchup favors the Bills. On the field, that didn't happen. Mm -hmm. Cincinnati offensive line coach and run game coordinator Frank Pollock did an amazing job, again, with three replacement pieces, getting his guys to play together, which is the most important thing on the offensive line, and beating up a good defense. Kansas City is also a good defense, but they have not been particularly good against this piece of offense. And Cincinnati just showed they're really good at creating this piece of offense. For the run game, they're going to need body blows from Samaj P. Ryan to land inside. This is back to a boxing analogy. They're going to have to hit him and hit him and hit him again. The Bengals are going to have to try and mess with that soft middle of the Chiefs. And if they can, if the Chiefs can't bow up and stop that and limit that effectiveness, 
The Bengals are going to keep doing it for a couple of reasons. One, because it's working. Two, it's going to help them generate some points. And every successful Cincy run is time taken off the clock and away from whichever version of the offense the Chiefs are running, which let's talk about it like it is. It is the number one offense in the NFL. Mm -hmm. If you can keep the ball out of their hands, that's defense in its own right. They don't have the rock to do anything with it. And every time you can smash Maje P. Ryan or Joe Mixon up inside for four, five, or six yards and keep the chains moving, you keep the ball away from whatever version of Mahomes is playing and the rest of that very talented KC offense. So it serves a double purpose, helps score you points, helps keep your opponent from scoring points. And if KC can't stop that, that might be it. They'll be looking for some breaks for some turnovers, but fundamentally, if they can't find a way to stem that tide of what Cincinnati just demonstrated last weekend that they're really good at doing, this one might not be as balanced as people think, regardless of Mahomes' status. And that's only one half of the ball in terms of their problems in this game because Lou Anaromo is also a big problem for them. Um, there was a stat put out by Arjun Manan, who uh, works for PFF, and uh, he put together a great chart. And this is a this is a stat I've never even seen before, but I loved it. This is a chart showing the percentage of snaps in the Buffalo versus uh, Cincinnati game from last week. Uh, the percentage of snaps where all the Bills receivers were perfectly covered, meaning nowhere to go with the ball. And it was staggeringly high, 66.7% of all Buffalo Bills offensive snaps, the receivers had nothing. Absolutely nothing. Compared to that to the KC defense against Jacksonville, which is a little bit skewed by the number of screen passes that were called, right? This is screen passes removed. 11.4% of all of Jacksonville's snaps had all their receivers covered. So these two defenses are not the same. Chiefs are good. Bengals are great. And I think that if we're looking at uh, how the Chiefs offense matches up against the Bengals defense against a secondary that is very stingy and has no weaknesses against a defensive line that is very aggressive and has no weaknesses and against a linebacking core that is really athletic and really instinctive and doesn't bust coverages it's it's hard to find a good matchup that favors them other than Travis Kelsey who's a matchup that favors you every single week but like Travis Kelsey and a hobbled Patrick Mahomes against the world? That's tough for me to really put a lot of faith in right now because a lot of even that matchup of Kelsey and Mahomes versus the world, a lot of that depends on can he move around to get out of pressure uh, so that he can find Kelsey and all these scramble drills that they are famously ridiculous at, right? Um, if Mahomes can't get outside the pocket because he can't run, that aspect of their game is gone. Like they were calling uh, outside zone from under center with him, and he was literally hopping to the running back to give it to Pacheco. If you can't reliably run outside zone from under center, now you can only run it from the gun, and it's harder to run it out of the gun. The aiming point is different. The angles are different. So it's like you can't run outside zone. You can't run all the speed option stuff. If you're restricted to only stuff that keeps Mahomes in a four-yard box vertically, no boot game, no option, you know, no outside zone. It puts your offense in a box. And part of the things that, you know, one of the main things that made the KC offense so good is they were not in a box. They could do anything because Mahomes could move around. 
So, you know, looking at the Anarumo defense, which is suffocating already against a hobbled Kansas City offense, I don't know what the answer is. And I really don't envy Andy Reid and, and, and Eric Bieniemy and Matt Nagy for trying to find out what the answer is. I'm not smart enough to know what it is. But I don't see it. Like, it's, it's, it's a shockingly terrifying prospect when you're already going up against a team that has your number to deal with this with a hobbled quarterback. I don't know what they're going to do. And we can't just go to that number two quarterback who we're developing who has mobility as part of yeah. their game because we have Chad Henney, who we said in yesterday's show did an incredible job leading the drive, but it was fairly classical. Let's just call it that. 3.7 average depth of target. Yep. It was from the pocket. It was to the edges. It was quick outs. It was extending the pocket by throwing um, laterally, not vertically. So it doesn't get a whole lot different if you start Henny, except for he's healthy and he can move a little better for the handoffs. But in terms of that element, that X factor that Mahomes gives you with his mobility because he is an underrated, I don't want to just say runner, mover. He moves mm -hmm. the pocket. He can move the rush. He can step up as well as anybody in football. Uh, and create he is one of the most if not the most creative quarterback at the position today some of that's going to go by the wayside because he physically just can't so if he's still hobbling and he probably will be like we talked about at the top of the segment look for Anarumo's defense to have even more success they're gonna bring pressure they brought pressure against Allen and Allen wasn't limited mobility wise if you've got a slightly non-moving target Anaruma is going to bring pressure and mm -hmm. Pat Mahomes if he's playing if he's starting is used to being able to go ah I can Olay that guy and then do something magical I might not even be able to do the first step which is Olay the guy so that's really troubling Kelsey's going to have to lead we've talked about that multiple times he is a superhero every week he's going to have to do even more and Casey's going to have to lean on their run game more than usual just under 40% of their plays, 38.5%, are rushing plays typically. That's going to have to go up. They're going to have to do a little bit of what Cincinnati did last weekend and lean on that big offensive line and say, you guys are going to have to push some people around. Now, that's a tough task for Susanna Rumo's defense on any week. We talk repeatedly about how good DJ Reader is and what a sort of force multiplier he is that allows them to play nickel because he can take a gap and a half. He's not going anywhere. He's still healthy. But you're going to have to try because it's going to take some of the mileage off Mahomes that he is invariably going to have to put on if you're running anywhere near a fully featured passing game. And he's just not going to hold up through hits and mileage. You're going to have to take some of those plays and twist the dial a little bit and say, hey, we're, we're handing that off to McKinnon. We're giving that to Isaiah Pacheco. It might be three yards in a cloud of dust, but we've got to do it. It's not what we're used to but we just don't have the downs in our currently injured quarterback to do anything else. So if Casey fans are thinking this one's in the bag because the magic's just going to continue because, again, you said it in yesterday's show, they're just so used to it. <laughs> they're kids in Kansas City that have no idea what it's like to not go to the AFC Championship game for all of their football remembering memory. They've done it. And so, of course, the Chiefs are at home. 
They're the number one team in the conference. Why wouldn't they win? And we're giving you a lot of answers as to why they might not that are not, oh, it's a thin window. It's more like, mm, this is a probability, not just a possibility. It's an uphill climb right now for Mahomes short of some kind of miraculous recovery, which is unlikely given the type of his injury. So with what we know right now on a Monday, this looks like a big challenge for what is one of the best coaching staffs in the NFL. Let's be straight up about that. Casey's coaching staff, one of, if not the top offensive staff in the league. So if you had to have anybody come up with some crazy answers to a crazy situation, I'd lean on those guys more than almost anybody else. But the answers, what they can sort of pull out of their bag of tricks, is pretty limited at this point. You mentioned DJ Reader, who's obviously either him or Dexter Lawrence. I, I would accept either answer at this point. Like, who's the who's the best nose tackle in the game, right? Um, I'd say Lawrence is a better pass rusher. Reader's a better run stopper right now, even though they're both elite at both, so it doesn't really matter. They're both amazing, right? This is one of the few interior offensive lines that I think can do well against DJ. Well, not well, can survive. Yeah, can DJ hold Reader. up. It's the tackles that I have an issue with. Uh, two of the top seven offensive linemen period this year in terms of total pressures, pressures given up um, and two of the top four just tackles are the chief starting duo of Wiley and Orlando Brown. In terms of pressure percentage allowed, they're both pretty far up there as well. Uh, so it's not just the fact that the Chiefs throw more than almost anybody else. Like Even just in terms of pressure percentage, they're both... They're both not great. <laughs> so that is another factor here. If we're looking at, you know, the combination of, of Hubbard and Hendrickson, who are both really good at rushing the passer themselves, I I would favor the Bengals edge duo in that. Now, caveat, they did well against Jacksonville. They stepped up when Pat was hurt against Jacksonville and they held up. But the the pass rush for the Bengals is also better than the one from Jacksonville. So it's a tougher matchup for them now. And the Bengals are going into this game knowing that their quarterback is a wounded duck, so they're going to send it as much as humanly possible, as you alluded to. Overall, looking at at all these matchups, I, I don't want to come off too negative to Kansas City because I really don't trust any line uh, in terms of like the actual game line. Casey's favored by one right now, right? And I don't trust betting against that line anytime Patrick Mahomes is on the field because more often than not, Chiefs are going to win. And I have predicted them to win most of their games this year for a reason. I do not feel comfortable betting against the Chiefs. But this game has me spooked. Defensive matchup, offensive matchup, injury situation. None of it is coming up favorable to KC. None of it. The one thing KC has going for it that is the great equalizer in all these games, right, is the fact that Mahomes could make magic and find Kelsey and things would just magically happen for them off script. If that is not available to them as a counterpunch against a better team than Jacksonville, Jacksonville had them on the ropes. Let's be real about this. Jacksonville made a whole bunch of mistakes. The Kirk drop, the fumble at the six yard line. You know, your, your, your defense is playing 40% man against Chad Henney. <laughs> so he just dinks and dunks you to death and, and gets a score. Kansas City would not have that same level of success against a team like Cincy. And so just looking at all these matchups where none of them 
are going in favor of KC, and they don't have that great equalizer of Mahomes and Kelsey, I don't feel comfortable picking them to win for the first time in a long time. And I'm spooked by that because I know my curse is a real and powerful thing. But I would be lying to you if I didn't pick the Bengals to win this game. Like, all logic dictates since he is winning this game. And football is a very logical sport sometimes. I'm not saying it's impossible for KC. But, I mean, shit. Look at the numbers. Look at the film. Look at the matchups. Look at the coaches. Doesn't look good, EJ. Doesn't look good. Two players we said we wouldn't bet against. I know, and, and they're playing against each other, so it cancels out, And they're in out, this right? game, so we got we to gotta bet against one of them. We said in the off-season previews, divisional previews, we're not betting against Patrick Mahomes until further notice. And further notice is probably when he quits, right? He has been to five straight AFC Championship games every year he started. We're not betting against that guy. On the other side, Joe Burrow. I said, mm-mm, not betting against Joe Burrow. Learn my lesson. If he is on the field, he is a trained killer, he is not just happy to be there. He is not satisfied with where the team has progressed to. He is coming to take your soul. If they do not make it back to the Super Bowl and win, Joe Burrow will be genuinely disappointed because they made it to the Super Bowl last year, and they almost won. And this team is better, and he knows it. And he is better, and he knows it. This is not some guy walking in who's like, ooh, I get to play Patrick Mahomes. He's like, Patrick mm-hmm. Mahomes has got to play me. Yeah. So we got two guys that we don't want to bet against. We've got the sort of immovable object meets the irresistible force, and they're in the same game. One of them is injured. That is just a fact. It is a check mark. It is a thing. He is not going to be at full capacity. Is that fair or nice or fun or what we want to see? No. Is it a fact? It is. Indeed. Something's got to give. The Bengals are still pissed, make no mistake. They're not happy that they polished off Buffalo and that they have to go to Kansas City. They would like to be playing at home. They want to go for the jugular. They want everybody to eat their words that overlooked them and thought, well, you know, yeah, they beat Mahomes last year and went to the Super Bowl, but it's different. Yeah, it's different. We're better. And you're still (laughs) underrating us? Make no mistake, this is a team with an edge. They showed it versus Buffalo. They're going to continue that momentum versus kansas city it is going into kansas city one of the best home environments in terms of support for the chiefs in the nfl it is one of the strongest home fan bases out there they are used to success mahomes and reed and everybody else has brought them that expectation but they are wounded walking into this one i'm with you it is not impossible to see the chiefs walking out of this one with a victory but it is a difficult thing to predict right now as to how exactly that would happen. Yeah, it's just, it's it's tough. Like, on, on one hand, I'm disappointed because I wish we got to see these teams at full power against each other, and we're not going to get to see them at full power against each other. So that's disappointing on one end. But, um, you know, football's football, man. Sometimes Arden Key trips and, and falls down at a weird angle and hits your ankle. Shit happens, EJ. Oh, well, maybe, maybe next year, <laughs> maybe next year we'll get to see it again. At least a, a healthy Mahomes versus healthy Burrow. That would be nice. Uh, all right. So we had, uh, this actually went a lot longer than I expected. We had <laughs> a very, very deep dive into only two football games that went damn near an hour long. Hope you guys enjoyed it. By the time you hear this, EJ and I will probably be on our way to Vegas. Uh, 
to start our Shrine Bowl coverage. And just like last year, we will be watching the conference championships from Vegas. And uh, actually, we were watching the, I think it was DB interview day where Jack Jones yes, and all the was. boys came in and, and they threw on the end of the, the Chiefs-Bengals game to watch the overtime and all the DBs. <laughs> I won't say who. Some of the DBs had money on the game and were very interested in watching that instead of doing instead of doing interviews. I don't really blame them, by the way, for that. I, I would be interested in, in that too. But Honestly, it was one of the coolest experiences we had for multiple reasons. and It didn't have anything to do with the betting. It had to do with watching a room full of 20 guys who are about to try and make it in the league on that threshold, literally at a college all-star game, watching the game. And there was this crazy mix of their knowledge of the game from being players, their knowledge of the game from having played with players who were playing in that game. These are guys who were teammates of many guys Uh who are on both teams. Um, uh, being related in some cases to the guys who were playing on the field, uh, playing up their own college rivalries, and then now playing up their sort of future aspirations about, I want to go to this team or I want to go to that team, or I got money on this team and I got money on this team. And watching all those dynamics go back and forth was wildly entertaining and instructive. We just kind of did the fly on the wall thing because it was definitely Oh, we didn't our... do a single interview that whole it session. Was, <laughs> it was not our party, and we didn't need to go get in the middle of it. It wasn't about us. It was one of the coolest ways to watch. It was the most unique way I think I've ever watched a football game was watching them watch it through their eyes. It was really, really cool. It was a lot of fun. It was a great game too. That certainly helped a lot of back and forth action and a surprising result. Uh, all of that was awesome. And I'll tell you what, awesome. when a DB made the winning play to get the interception to send the Bengals to the Super Bowl. A room full of DBs <laughs> celebrated like you would not believe. They loved it. They absolutely loved seeing a seeing a DB get the spotlight. They lost their minds. And then I think right when that game was over, the session was over, so they went on their merry way and were like, "All right, see you at practice." Yeah, they're like, you "Thanks, know. guys." We're like, "Hey, thank you." And <laughs> they left. And yeah, same thing will probably happen this this year. I, I don't anticipate we're going to get any interviews on Sunday, but that's okay. That's okay. It's a good that's experience. All right. Uh, all right so. Again, by the time you guys hear this, we'll be at Shrine Bowl. Lots of, lots of draft content coming. Tons of draft content. And then we'll do our Super Bowl preview episode from Vegas while we're there. And then uh, we'll have some very special stuff we can't talk about coming over the offseason, too. But you, you'll see that when you see it. So until then, have a, have a good conference championship weekend. We love you all. And uh, see you next week. Take care.